Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Dax Cook. Thanks for being on the show, Dax. Great to be here, Whitney. Yeah, all the way from Columbia, right? That's right. Yeah, we are talking to you live from uh, Medin here. We're, uh, we're actually at about 7,000 feet elevation up here, and we are um, in the midst of quarantine like everybody else, but we're doing just fine. Awesome. Well, a little about Dax, in case you haven't heard of him before. He's founded Farmfolio, has successfully democratized an agribusiness sector with the goal of creating value throughout the agriculture supply chain by connecting stakeholders around the world to unique opportunities in emerging markets. So I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's a totally different asset class than we've got to talk about very often. But he has successfully created a tropical fruit brand called, is it Ladona? LaDonna, yep. LaDonna. Yep. Awesome. LaDonna Fruit that is present in over 15 countries in Europe. Farmfolio is now the number one exporter of air freight pineapple out of Panama. Dax's vision has led him to create unique opportunities for investors to capitalize on teak transformation facilities and fruit packaging houses. Dax, Thank you again for your time. I'm looking forward to this. Give us a little more of your background because this is a very unique asset class that we haven't talked about before. Yeah, you know, it's kind of random how I got into this business. I spent 12 years in the financial services business from investment banking all the way to wealth management and sold a business in the early 2012, 2013 timeframe and moved to Panama. Actually, I was going to take a hiatus. And when I moved into my condo building in Panama, I uh, met two guys that were sourcing produce for Whole Foods, and uh, they talked me into creating financial modeling for some of their farmers. And, you know, I started looking more and more into the business and really just, it was so much of a romantic business. It was going to be a hobby before I realized that there was a major opportunity that was, in my mind, really undiscovered, you know, to the mass group of investors that are looking for cash flowing types of real estate. And, you know, over the last five years, as you've mentioned, we've developed four farm properties, a packing house and a sawmill here in Colombia and Panama. We've also developed a fully integrated sales channel. We have our own sales team in Europe, as you mentioned, through our LaDonna Fruit Channel. So it's been an adventure. We've been moving so fast over the last five years, but, you know, we have created numerous opportunities and continuously are rolling out new opportunities for investors seeking yield in the real estate category. So it's great to be with you and talk to you know traditional real estate investors and bring some awareness to what's going on in the agriculture space. Very interesting. So, you know, obviously most of the listeners are thinking, you know, they're usually talking about or thinking about, okay, multifamily or retail or office, you know, different things, medical, you know, we've talked about lots of those, but, you know, can you just elaborate on just this type of investment and how it would compare to something like multifamily? How do we get our mind around like what your type of investment is? Yeah. I mean, when you look at multifamily, there's a growth component to it. There's a cash flow component to it. And agriculture is the same. I mean, there's a growth component depending upon where you're entering the market. And there's also a cash flow component, depending on where you're in the market. You know, if you look at the valuation characteristics and how real estate is valued, it's very similar to real estate. You just substitute the tenants 
for crops, essentially, and that is your cash flow, obviously. You know, we use net present value calculations to evaluate property. And if you look at, you know, the development aspect of starting new farms and developing those, which is a wonderful growth opportunity, whether you're even in developed markets or emerging markets, because you can take a raw piece of land, just like real estate, and instead of putting a condo building, you put, you know, several thousand trees or crops in that particular area. And, you know, you've got a source of cash flow and you can use that cash flow to evaluate that real estate. So there's a large growth opportunity through valuation and potential resale. But more importantly, I see when you compare your multifamily and commercial opportunities versus ag, you've got a significant increase when you look in the tropical space where we're focused in those yields. I mean, in these markets, you're looking at, you know, as high as 20, 22% if you're looking at tree crops. You know, you have some time for development in that, but certainly, you know, looking at the two of them, there is a great opportunity to diversify. And you and I were chatting before we started, you know, farmland in the U.S., just the land component of it has outperformed every other asset class according to the NACRIF index, which is the farmland index. And, you know, in Latin America, it's even greater than that. So, there's just so many opportunities. We're trying to create opportunities, not just in the real estate aspect of it, but we create opportunities throughout the supply chain. We're building packing facilities. We're really creating businesses. And that's why we call it agribusiness investment as opposed to farmland investment. So explain a little bit about just the structure of a deal like that. Like, you know, as as you might explain it to an investor, you know, that just the way a deal is done. Uh, you, it seems you have a financial background and it's an odd way to get into this type of business. You, it's like you didn't see this coming when you went down there and now look at you. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it just kind of came out of nowhere for me, but you know, I have been able to leverage all of that knowledge for and sure. bring you know, maybe a little bit more of a financial approach to the farming aspect and the combination of that's been great. You know, from a structuring standpoint, we use a very similar private equity structure to the you know, real estate established projects instead of using an LLC like you know most of the deals are an LP in the US we use a Cayman based structure uh, Farmfolio operates as a general partner and we structure limited partnerships that we manage and we raise capital really from a, almost a crowdfunding standpoint we put out a lot of content and we've raised a little over 15 and a half million dollars into our five projects really purely based off of the content and just promotion of this online. But it's a, you know, our compensation model is two and 20, very similar to, you know, the private equity space with success fees. But we also make direct investments. We are the first investor into every project. We're usually putting anywhere between 10 and 30% down on the project before we even open it for investment. So we're not starting from scratch. We typically have gotten a base structure together and either started construction or started planting or, or actually purchased some of the land before we get into a deal. So, you know, it's a very similar structure. And the reason we use the Cayman Island structure is we have investors from all over the world. I and mean, we have people in Europe and Asia and the U.S. and here in Latin America as well. And you need a tax do neutral domicile to run the distributions back to investors. Because if you set this in one particular, you know, location like the U.S., you're going to have a withholding tax to the international investors. So we want to keep it tax neutral, but it's a very common structure. Obviously the Cayman Islands has a lot of fund-based business and you know it's been a it's a fairly low cost location to do business. 
So I was going to ask you a little about just, you know, investing internationally versus, you know, locally or maybe why someone would do that. Is there or maybe you can elaborate, you know, why like an investor from the U.S. would invest in this as opposed to just saying, no, I just want to invest, you know, in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, it's a pure margin play. You can there are agriculture investments available in the U.S., you know, primarily in the row crops business, you know, corn, soy, wheat, things like that. You have a little bit in the now popping up in California and, and like almonds and the nut-based businesses. But, you know, the yields in the U.S. because of the cost of labor and land are much less than what you're looking at in emerging markets. You know, if you look at, we're developing projects and all of our operations budgets are based in foreign currencies like the Colombian peso, for instance, which is trading today at 3,700 to one on the dollar. You know, a good farm wage here, a healthy wage for an individual is $500 a month with benefits. In the U.S., you'd be at 2000 So you've got three to four times the operating cost. The land's more expensive. And the beauty of our situation is you've got this arbitrage with, you know, we're exporting in primarily euros. We do some U.S. exports as well. But when you're looking at bringing euros, which is even stronger than the dollar, back into Colombian pesos, there's, I mean, there's a spread just on that. So you're going to see in the U.S., your yields are going to be between 3 and 6% on agriculture, whereas in Latin America, depending upon the country, you're going to be somewhere between, depending on the crop, 8 and 20 to 25. So your yield's much higher, and you're not as dependent upon the sale of the property to make a return. And, you know, I think that's really the difference, and that's why we came here and, you know, why we focus here in Latin America. And there are other places around the world that are also great. Africa has some opportunities that are starting to pop up. And it may seem really foreign to a U.S. person, but, you know, things run the same here. I mean, the farming business is the same. And, you know, I, I've been here long enough to completely be comfortable with the entire political structure, the environment. But, you know, I think it's, it is the future of agriculture, and um, I think it will continuously show significantly higher returns than domestic real estate. Would you, I guess, could you maybe give us an example of some returns we would expect and maybe like hold times and distributions, what that normally looks like? Just common investor, you know, questions that they are going to want to know. Yeah, sure. And, you know, right now we've got two open projects, you know, that we're still raising for, you know, just to give you an example, we've got a Tahiti lime. So just your common lime that you would put in your beer or, you know, or whatever else you're, you're eating. You know, we've got a packing facility that we're developing. It's going to ship approximately 500,000 kilos of limes on a monthly basis. Projected returns on that 10 to 12%. Again, that's different than a farming investment. It's a packing opportunity. It's still real estate, but it's a facility-based investment and it's an agribusiness investment, meaning you're participating in the gains of the business itself. That's a conservative estimate. Yeah, that's based on very low prices. We try to bake in as many problems as we can think of that would hold up the returns. But I actually did a back-testing analysis. If we had the same investment last year, our returns would have been up to 30% based on last year's fruit prices. Now, we've based that on a very low price and, again, an unfavorable exchange rate, which has actually gotten stronger. But you know, that would be somewhere between the 10 and 12 is what we're going to project on our financial model. If you look at some of the projects we already have in place, we have a pineapple operation 
which has now become the number one air shipping pineapple operation in Panama. We're paying approximately 8 to 11% annually on that. And that's just yield. When I'm telling you these returns, they're pure yield. We're not factoring in any property appreciation, anything like that. So, uh, yeah, that's probably double what you would be looking at in domestic situation. And what kind of hold time are, you know, are investors looking at for something like that? Yeah, we structure everything primarily between a five and a 10 year window. We're structuring buybacks. So we have a buyback set up after a minimum holding period where we're actually going to buy it back from the LP. You know, that is our long game with Farmfolio is just to continuously develop projects, have participation from investors and then buy it back. We will continuously add new products like this month. Actually, we're rolling out debt opportunities as well for people who want to participate in debt on some of our existing operations. And that money is used for financing trade movements. For instance, when you ship product from one location to another, you typically have a receivables time period that can last up to 90 days. And we've figured out that it's actually, it's better for us and better for investors if we just offer that as a debt instrument to the general public, as opposed to paying higher interest rates with factoring companies or other receivables financing outlets. And those will range anywhere between seven to 9% depending upon the project. And that's a fixed interest rate. So what are some common maybe investor concerns as far as investing in a project like this internationally, you know, if they're, especially if they're U.S., we'll say they're U.S. based, maybe some concerns that I, I mean, I wouldn't even know to ask you because I'm not familiar with the Yeah, I mean, class. I would say the main thing we get before even the, you know, the international component is the farming risk for farm-based operations, right? And people who are overly concerned about, you know, climatic issues, that's probably the number one question that we get. And, you know, we do a very deep analysis on any farming operation that we're going to do of soil studies, source of water. I mean, those are some of the first things that we investigate before we do anything. But then when you go into packing facilities, you know, it's a pricing and currency exchange. You know, what happens if the currency exchange rate changes and your fruit gets more expensive or your operational cost gets expensive? You know, those things we can also mitigate with forward contracts through our trade operations. We're able to fix the price at a given moment in time if we're purchasing fruit from farm operations. But in relation to the international, you know, component of it, there's not a whole lot of difference in investing in private equity structure in the U.S. or in the Cayman Islands, right? Primarily because you have a prospectus, right? You're going to get a prospectus with both projects. It's going to tell you about all the risks. It's going to give you all of you know the potential changes and things that could take place with tax rates. You know all the normal disclosures that you're going to have. You know depending upon the domicile, you know we do get a lot of questions about. You know, Colombia specifically, it has a past that everybody knows was in, you know, complete disarray in the 90s. But, you know, people forget that, you know, Pablo Escobar has been dead since 1993. So, you know, even though, you know, TV shows have come out recently talking about that time, it's a very different landscape here. Colombia's second fastest growing economy in Latin America. It's the oldest democracy in Latin America. So you don't have any, you don't have much risk of uh, a Venezuela situation happening, even though they're our neighbor. But, you know, this is a major U.S. ally. One of the largest embassies in the world for the United States is 45 minutes on a plane from where I'm sitting today. And, you know, there's a large U.S. presence here. So, you know, of, of a lot of the countries working, this is very safe and it's a very well-established economy. 
Panama, home of the Panama Canal. You know, it's one of the most important pieces of real estate in the world. Our farm in Panama sits about 45 minutes from the Panama Canal. Huge strategic advantage to be able to ship off of the Caribbean and the Pacific coast. So from a logistical standpoint, you've got a lot of benefits there. But those are the main things that we get asked, you know, in terms of questions and risk profiles of investing in or out. You know, we, even though we are set up as a Cayman structure, you can still invest through an IRA, through a self-directed IRA program. I'd say about half of our investments come from qualified plans and also IRA type investments. So it's very similar and it's very, it's a very easy process. We've got a great management system with regular updates of what's going on at the farm, very similar to what you would experience in a brokerage account or, or in a real estate managed account. Do you all have an investor portal or how do you handle updates and things like that? Yeah. So, you know, up until recently, it's been very manual. We do send out quarterly reports at each project. So each investor gets an update of what's going on on a quarterly basis, customized to their existing project. We put out an annual financial report that has all of comprehensive P&L, balance sheet, et cetera. And we're putting out sales reports based on the product. Like for instance, with our pineapple operation, we put out P&Ls on a quarterly basis so that people can have a sense of what's going on. And then we make dividend distribution or distribution declarations on a quarterly basis based on what's happening at the project. So we've got something that's recently been rolled out called our Ag Investor Portal is what we call it. And that is a comprehensive backend system. It's a portal where you can log in all your documents are there, your K-1s, you know, anything yeah. that you would get related to distribution statements and then uh, all of the farm reports. If you actually want to read the agronomical reports, you can read those. So, so you mentioned that you had raised like $15 million and, and you're in Columbia, you know, and, and raising money from all over the world. So, you know, I just, I think that's a great testimony, like guys who are getting started and they listen to me every day and we're talking about how to find investors and, you know, and, and there's so many that we can just go and network with in our own community or town one way or the other. But, you know, you're raising this kind of capital from all over the world. You know, can you elaborate a little bit on how you've been successful uh, raising capital and meeting investors like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, like everybody else in the private equity space, we're restricted to, you know, accredited investors, right? So, I mean, if we could take non-accredited investors, we might be over 50 million by now and, and raise capital. But that accredited investor pool of people is a small group of people, you know, relative to the population. And we really have had to be our own lead generator in terms of, you know, we're, we're in a new space. And trying to go out to, you know, other larger funds and trying to raise capital in this without proof of concept, you know, initially was difficult. Now we're having conversations with family offices on a regular basis, you know, larger ticket sizes. We started out, for example, on our first project with a $25,000 entry ticket price. And, you know, some of that was friends and family. I'd say of the 15 million we've raised, about a million and a half of that total was from my own network and my partner's network. But, you know, we've just been relentless about writing content, project updates on a regular basis. I mean, really bringing transparency to what's happening. And I think that's the difference. I think, you know, people, you know, it was slow for the first 18 months, you know, and really getting that because this was such an out of the box. I mean, people are like, what? Colombian? <laughs> you know, you can imagine what that sounds like when you first start. But now you know, people subscribe to it. And they're, I think initially they were just curious, is this going to work? And, you know, the more, because we went on road shows like everybody else, we're going to every real estate convention or 
you know, any type of capital raising convention, money shows, everything we could possibly do to get ourselves in front of people. And people were dipping their toe in the water. You know, they were giving us 25,000, 50,000 at a time. And uh, that lasted for about 18 months. And we were just every week, every month, comprehensive reports of what's going on, you know, showing photos, drone images, like everything showing that it's actually happening here. And, you know, that really built the trust, I think, with our investment community and, you know, those $25,000 investors, you know, probably you know, a lot of those people now have 100, 200, 300. I mean, I think our largest investor is a million and a half, you know, and that person started out at 100K. So, you know, there are a lot of things that you can do, but you have to really, um, you know, focus on content and just keeping people up to date and having a very transparent and good or bad, right? I mean, it's, I think people even feel more confidence when you tell them things are going wrong. And, you know, you just have to be honest with right. people and, and really divulge all of the projects so they can make their own assessment of, you know, do I want more exposure to the space? And we've done a good job of that. And I think that's been the key for us. What's the biggest, I mean, like as far as a detrimental, something that could happen, you know, to farming other than climate, I mean, I know the climate obviously plays a massive role, but you know, like everybody's, you know, this pandemic that's happened now and everybody's worried about how that's going to affect, you know, obviously the market and how it has affected it. But what's the big thing that people are worried about when they think about your type of investment? Well, you know, I don't know if people are worried about it. You know, I don't think they know enough about it when they think about this space. But, you know, one of the keys to our success, you know, particularly through the pandemic, has been diversification in our market channels. You know, as you mentioned in the introduction, you know, we're selling all over Europe. You know, for instance, we have customers in pretty much every European country and some Eastern European countries. And if we didn't have that, if we were reliant on just selling to one big importer, we would be in big trouble right now. And you hear about farmers are losing money in the U.S. and there's all these, you know, disasters in the meat industry and pork and beef and, you know, some of these uh, short-term crop farmers like, you know, lettuces and tomatoes and stuff like that. Most of those types of farms are completely dependent on one outlet. You know, they don't have a sales team. They just sell to, you know, like the pork industry – they're going to sell to a slaughterhouse and that's it. They've got one or two options. If you don't have diversification of your market, to me, that's the biggest risk. If there's a market shift, other than the agriculture, I mean, the climate situation, obviously, but we try to really try to balance all that on the front end. I mean, we're like, we don't get anywhere near the hurricane belt, you know, when we're developing anything I mean, there's certain areas where you just can't go and develop things because you have a massive weather problem. But, you know, the second thing, and again, just going back to it is that, is that diversification of market, you know, wholesale markets, retailers, food service, you have to be selling to everybody so that if one channel shuts down, which is what happened in the US, food service, you know, for restaurant deliveries completely shut down. And those are the people who are hurting right now. The other people who are well diversified are doing great. And uh, that's, a, you know, that's a good question for us to know. Like if we're looking to invest with somebody like yourself, well, how many people are you selling to? How many importers do you have? Yeah, who are your customers? Yeah, who are your customers? What's your distribution? What happens if you lose one account? We have a rule in our European sales office. We will not sell more, depending on the product, we will not sell more than 25% to one customer. So that's been great for us. So what's a way you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? Improvement? I mean, for us recently, obviously, like everybody else, just getting everything as virtual as possible. You know, we were virtual just because of how we work throughout the world. I mean, we have 
independent contractors everywhere and we've had them for a while. So, I mean, I think the more you can do to create a mobile virtual team, regardless of what you're doing so that you have as little, obviously it's going to increase your margins as well. You don't have so much centrally located, but we've just been more effective. I mean, we've been, people have been able to do more stuff working virtually in every aspect of what we do. And, and I would say that's probably the, been one of our saving graces for the last three months. But the more you can do to make your organization more virtual and digitize everything that you're doing, the better off you are and invest in that. And you're going to save that money tenfold going forward and eliminate a lot of problems and have access to better pools of talent. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? tenacity. I mean, we've just, I mean, just relentless. I mean, you have an idea that you believe in and regardless of what everybody else is telling you, you just, until you're proven wrong, you just go full speed. And uh, I think that's really been our key is we've got a phenomenal group of people here on the ground that have been able to just overcome so many challenges, you know, small things that just jump in hurdles every day. And, and, you know, really that's been the key to our success is problem solving. How do you like to give back? Uh, we actually do a lot of giving back here in the communities. We've actually launched a foundation here in Columbia. We do a lot of things like we set up water filters in people's homes around uh, some of the farms. The farms that we operate in a lot of cases are very rural. And, you know, these communities are, you know, the farms are really the business engines that power the area around the community. And, you know, the things that we do to give back are really related to those communities. We're more about giving people opportunities to make themselves sustainable as opposed to just giving things away. But I love the, uh, you know, if you teach a man to fish, he can fish for a lifetime quote. So that's what we try to do here. And uh, it's been really successful for us. And it's been a great experience. Awesome. Dax, I'm grateful to have met you and just heard learn more about your business and just, uh, you know, exposing the, you know, my network and people that are listening uh, just to this type of investment that it's even out there. I think for a while, you know, like you don't even know some of this is uh, an option, right? Until you hear a podcast like this and somebody that's an expert like yourself. So grateful for that. And uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, you can. Everybody can check us out at farmfolio.net. We've got a great agriculture investment guide if you just want to learn more about ag investing in general. It's completely just an educational piece. I encourage you to download that. If you have any questions for me, you can email me at daxdax at farmfolio.net or you can get in touch with us via the web. Again, farmfolio.net. All of our contact information is on there as well and all of our project information. So happy to speak with anybody and would love to educate more people on this as we go forward. Awesome. That's a wrap, Dax. Thank you very much. Okay, Whitney, great to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. 
LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.